Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. I know I'm in the home studio again. I apologize. Crack in practice. By the time you're watching, this has transpired. It runs through our normal recording time. It's been tough. It's been tough. We're working with what we got, though. The show goes on and all that sort of thing. Uh, the Seattle sports world, the Seattle pro sports world continues to re- evolve uh, and continues to push forward. So we'll continue with that. The Seahawks, the rain. Um, oh, yes, Seahawks, the Raiders, and the Kraken have all been in action this past week, and the other teams, of course, have other news. Uh, so we'll get straight into that with our Seattle Seahawks, who came off the bye week. This was a big game. The Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati looking to take advantage of a team that really hasn't technically gotten back into full strength yet, so to say, after the Bengals struggled to begin the year. And Seattle was unable to come out with a victory on the road in Paycor Stadium. I was kind of shocked. I was so used to calling it Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio's Paycor Stadium, uh, now where the Bengals call home. A 13-17 to loss on the road in Cincinnati. This was a tough one. Uh, the first drive that the Seahawks had in this game, uh, the opening drive of the game itself was a touchdown drive. A lot of chunk plays, five plays of nine yards or more for Seattle. Uh, Kenneth Walker III was able to punch it up the gut uh, to score in this one with Jake Bobo in motion in front of him, or Bobo, um, which was it was really fun to see that. You think, all right, this is going to be a big game. The Bengals come out and score on the next drive immediately after, so you start thinking, oh, this is going to be a shootout. Uh, Seattle unable to respond on their following drive. Cincinnati scores a touchdown on their second drive of the game. And all of a sudden it's like, uh Oh, is this going to be, you know, whoever gets the ball last kind of thing? Have you already fallen in a hole? Uh, Seattle is able to hang on, um, go into the half down by four as they get a field goal from Jason Myers, uh, 55. Wait, nope. Yeah. A field goal from Jason Myers. And you're thinking, okay, uh, four, four points considering how you've kind of struggled after that first touchdown drive isn't a bad thing. There was some undisciplined play. Penalties were coming into uh, a factor in this game. The Seattle secondary was kind of getting played around with a little bit, obviously, with that Cincinnati receiving core of T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase. It's going to be tough. Uh, it's going to be really tough. And they've got Irv Smith Jr. as their tight end, Joe Mixon as their running back, and then obviously Joe Mix, uh, Joe Burrow, sorry, uh, running the show. So in the second half, uh, the Seahawks defense really clamped up. They only allowed three points in the second half to Cincinnati. The only thing was that the Seahawks were only able to muster three points uh, as well uh, in the second half. So it's just. Uh, frustrating there at the end, the last two drives of the game, uh, the defensive line for Cincinnati was really able to tear into Seahawks, uh, the Seahawks offensive line that's dealing with a ton of injuries still got Charles back this Charles cross back this week. It didn't end up mattering. Uh, Geno Smith unable to come up with the game. We'll go ahead, touchdown at the time, uh, and Seattle's win streak is snapped at three. For our offensive player of the game, I went with Tyler Lockett. 
Tyler Lockett just continues to be a consistent elite force for the Seahawks at the wide receiver position. Six receptions for 94 yards in this game. No touchdown for uh, the real estate agent himself. But still, again, just the consistency and how how great of a target he is, um, is is such a big aspect of the Seahawks offense to have that, you know, proverbial safety valve. Uh, still a deep threat down the sideline uh, and just such a calm presence for the Seahawks at the pass catching position. Um, you know, Kenneth Walker had an all right game on the ground. Geno Smith, uh, 323 passing yards, but two interceptions on the day, uh, one in the red zone, which was his first interception, in the red zone as the quarterback of the Seahawks. Um, and then the second interception they threw was a little bit more on DK Metcalf. Uh, DK and Gino had a miscommunication. DK stopped running his route, uh, or the route at least that Gino thought he was running, uh, and resulted in an interception. So on the defensive side of the ball, kind of tough. There wasn't anybody necessarily that stood out. Trey Brown, cornerback Trey Brown, had an interception um, in this game, which was nice to see uh, after he came off of the uh, – he was injured the last few games. Um but Tremont Jones, Tremont Jones has a solid game. Three, uh, three tackles, all of them solo. One sack. It was his second sack of the season. Excuse me. One tackle for loss and one QB hit. Not a bad game uh, for the offseason signing. Nobody really, you know, did anything too big in this game per se uh, on the defensive side of the ball for Seattle. It was a tough injury week heading into this game we'll go over the inactives list first uh offensive lineman mcclendon curtis offensive guard damian lewis out for this game so again uh starting injuries you're down to your starting lineman with lewis and abraham lucas o-lineman raekwon o'neal linebacker devin bush and quarterback cornerback Artie burns uh there were a few other injuries when it came to this game i'm a little bit low here um we look at it here throughout the course of the week on October 9th. Uh, Jamal Adams was able to clear concussion protocol. Do you know Smith knee was fine. Charles cross practice and he would obviously be able to play in the game. As I mentioned, uh, Abraham Lucas not able to come off of injured reserve yet. Jason Peters uh, was talked about potentially playing either guard position or right tackle. He did not. Um, Phil Haynes was able to go in this game uh, after. Oh wait. Yes. He was able to go in this game. He would move to left guard, though, to allow Anthony Bradford, a draft pick from this year's crop of uh, draft picks, um, could play right guard, something he's more assimilated to. Uh, and quarterback Trey Brown did practice. So obviously you'll see a lot of these guys were able to get back. Uh, on the 14th, though, the team did place cornerback Kobe Bryant on the injured reserve. He is out at least four weeks um, dealing with a toe injury that's kind of hindered him for the last few games. Uh, head coach Pete Carroll did say it might be a bit before he comes back, which is unfortunate to hear uh, considering some of the plays that Bryant has made. And obviously with injuries, again, you're testing your depth. You'd like to be at full strength all the time. It's not going to happen. Uh, in terms of injuries at the Bengals, thankfully, knock on the woods, um, Seattle was able to stay relatively healthy in this game. Uh, wide receiver DK Metcalf did leave at one point with a hip injury and was questionable, but did return to the game and did play the rest of that game. Uh, no sort of news as to if that's going to hinder him further, if that's going to happen. Again, we'll roll the banner, follow us on the social media, uh, to keep up with us when we get this news, you know, instantly as opposed to getting it every Monday. So, yeah, this was uh, this is a tough game for Seattle. I mean, you get such a 
strong effort defensively to only allow the three points in the second half uh, against this Bengals team that, you know, when they hit their stride, which they might be hitting it now after the last two wins that they got over Arizona, which, eh, and then uh, the Seahawks, they could be hitting their stride. They very well could be finding themselves once again, finding their form. They're a dangerous team. That air attack is one of the best in the NFL. The Dolphins probably have the best air attack in the NFL right now. Um, but Cincinnati has a damn good passing attack as well. Um, so to lose to this team by four points isn't the biggest deal in the world. It's more the fact that you had the opportunity to win this game. Now, it's tough. Uh, I got a, a little bit of flack on Twitter about it. Everybody, you know, kind of gave a lot of a lot of criticism to Geno Smith. And, uh, you know, it wasn't his best game. It arguably was not his best game. There was at least one sack that he took that was on Geno spinning into it as opposed to it being his lineman's fault. And again, Seattle's missing two starting caliber offensive linemen right now, but they've largely been able to do a decent job. They're no, they're, they weren't playing the New York Giants this week, so they couldn't just steamroll everybody. Uh, but something, at least from next-gen stats from the NFL, the Bengals became the fourth defense to have four different players generate at least six pressures in a game since 2020. Sam Hubbard led the Bengals' pass rush with nine pressers, pressures, eight of which came against the Oxford tackle Jake Curran. So, again, it wasn't like... <laughs> These were things that were not any sort of issue. You've got Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson for Cincinnati who are excellent on the defensive line, and they were more than willing uh, and more than capable to go and exploit some of the guys who are getting starting positions who normally don't uh, for the Seahawks. So it was a tough one there. Um, hopefully Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator for Seattle, is able to look at these things and you know, you're able to game plan around the deficiencies, at least injury-wise. It'll be interesting to see if we get any sort of positive update on Abraham Lucas this week, uh, as well as Damian Lewis. It sounded like he was practicing this week, uh, but just wasn't able to go for this game. So again, these are important things. You know, it's it was important uh, that Seattle got that early bye week. At first, when you see it, when the schedule drops, you're thinking early bye week, not a great thing, considering you'd like to have that bye week late in the season so that you know, you're gearing up for the playoffs and you can rest some guys and get ready for that final push. Seattle, with how banged up they've been early on, they were more than happy to take that early bye week. Uh, again, so overall, tough game. You know, the two touchdowns that you give up to Cincinnati on their first two drives of the game, uh, you know, Joe Burrow was pissed after the game. He did the post-game interview on uh, on CBS, and he was not happy to talk about this game. So, again, it's it's not the fact that you lost to this Bengals team in the uh you know, in general or or by the score that you did, it's in the manner of which you lost this game. The fact that you should have won this game, you had those two possessions late, uh, two possessions within six minutes of the game ending, and you very well should have had the go-ahead touchdown uh, or more points than the zero that you put up. So tough one, very tough, uh, frustrating as well. But, you know, this very well could be a loss that the Seahawks take and they're able to grow from going forward through the rest of the season. This is only uh, the three and two now. Yeah, so this is only week six. <laughs> week six of 18. So Seattle should be fine. I'm not too stressed about it. These are, uh, you know, there are things that they need to learn from. There were, oh, goodness, I don't even know what we were looking at penalties-wise here. I know that coming into this game, Seattle was the second most team, uh, second most penalized team per game in the NFL. 
so that's not great. Um, let's look at penalties. Seven penalties for 64 yards. Yeah, not not great. Probably should not have to deal with that. So, um, you know, you outgained the Bengals passing-wise, rushing-wise. Uh, you were one for five in the red zone, though. That just simply cannot happen. Um, that, yeah, that kind of tells you a lot of the story. Uh, Seattle was five for 12 on third down. Cincinnati was only three for 11. So you did a lot good. But the mistakes that you made were big enough to overpower the positives that you know the positive things that you did. So, anyway, uh, wrapping up with the Seahawks here uh, as a corresponding move to Kobe Bryant being placed on the injured reserve, the team elevated wide receiver um, Cody Thompson from the practice squad to take over that roster spot. So, looking ahead, the Seahawks hit at a three and two record through six weeks of the NFL season. They're second in the NFC West, second in the NFC West because the Rams have three losses. The Rams have three wins and would hold the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. But because they have that extra loss, they are sitting behind Seattle in the standings. So Seattle sits at fourth. I mean, second, pardon me. I'm all over the place in the NFC West. Looking ahead, their next game is October 22nd, back at home, back at Lumen Field versus the Arizona Cardinals. That is a 1.05 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on Fox. The Cardinals are 1-5 on the season. They have been somewhat competitive early on. They are 0-3 on the road so far. Uh, they did beat the Dallas Cowboys uh, for their only win, which is kind of funny to see. Um they did put up a decent fight against the Bengals uh, last week until since he was able to pull away. So, you know, this is not going to be a Cardinals team, despite the record that they have right now. Um, they're just going to be able to roll over, especially because this is going to be a divisional game. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals seem to always be a pain in the behind outside of that 50 to nothing game uh, a few years ago. Uh, wow. More than that's more than a decade ago. Never mind. <laughs> a few years. Oh, goodness. So. We now go over to our Mariners segment, and it's a short Mariners segment. There's not too much to talk about with the offseason. Make your 54% jokes now. I honestly am kind of bored with those. Um, on the 8th, it was announced that center fielder Julio Rodriguez was named as a finalist for the 2023 Hank Aaron Award. The Hank Aaron Award is awarded annually to the best overall offensive performer in each league. The award was introduced in 1999 to mark the 25th anniversary of Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. Uh, a panel of Hall of Famers will combine with a fan vote to determine the winners in the American League and the National League. Voting ended a few days ago, so we should get updates on that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Julio does win it. I mean, he makes a decent case if his September was better than it was. You know, you can't really expect him to have continued the August that he had just because of how historic that was. But if he had, you know, at least a, a, an average August, I mean, September. Julio probably runs away with it decently. Um, also in the National League, Seattle native Corbin Carroll is up for the award with the Diamondbacks. Him and the Diamondbacks are now in the NLCS, so good for them. Julio had some some good stats. If we look at things overall, he's 12th in the AL in batting average. We could have been better. Third in runs batted in. Second in hits behind Marcus Simeon. Five hits behind Marcus Simeon. So he really, you know, again, if he had a better September, he would have been the hit king in the AL. Um Tied for fourth in the AL in runs, sixth in the AL in doubles, seventh in the AL in homers. Tied for fifth in the AL in extra base hits. He had 
he was third in the American League in stolen bases uh, and ninth in balls in uh, batting average on balls in play. So, uh, you know, Julio, he, he had a solid year uh, despite a really rough start to the year and a bad month to end it. Uh, but there's some learning things. He's got to cut down on the strikeouts. I really got to cut down on the strikeouts. Uh, it's a big thing for him. But there were some obvious growth points. His power to opposite field is so encouraging to see. Um, I'm just, you know, glad that he'll be on this team. He'll be in a Mariners uniform for like at least the next decade. Uh, the other piece of news for the Mariners on the 13th of October, the team claimed right-handed pitcher Caleb Ort off of waivers from the Boston Red Sox. Um, as a corresponding move to this, the Mariners designated catcher uh, Brian O'Keefe for assignment, which is uh, tough. O'Keefe uh, made a stint with the Mariners last season, uh, and at the end of the 2022 season, uh, had a decent year in Tacoma, ultimately wasn't able to do too much up here with the big league club. Cable abort is an interesting pitcher. Um, you know, he's been in, he's had three years in the league. Uh, ERA is not great. ERA is not the best thing to look at though. His whip isn't either, but at least looking at his pitching, his fastball velocity is nice in the 80th percentile. Uh, he throws four pitches, a fastball, a slider, a cutter, and a changeup heavily relying on that fastball uh, top averaging at 96. Uh, the slider at 84, the cutter and changeup both at 91. He'll be interesting to see. Um, <laughs> you got to think moves like this. You know, moves like this are where you got guys uh, like Gabe Spire from last season. Um, and you just wonder if Caleb Bort's going to be a guy that's going to factor into uh, the Mariners pitching factory of sorts. And, and Caleb Bort's a guy that we're going to be able to use in high leverage next year. We'll see. I mean, he's a guy, a guy getting claimed off of waivers, so uh, it'll just be interesting to you know, see if this guy pans out, if we see him in spring training, and if he makes the opening day roster. Uh, Seattle's bullpen you know, has almost notoriously uh, been able to guy, find guys out of the bargain bin uh, for relief arms and, and get the most out of them, whether that's Topa, uh, Gabe Spire, Taylor Saucedo, so uh, Paul Seawald before he got traded, he was a guy that was off the bargain bin. So that will wrap that up. We'll go over here to our Seattle storm. And just like with the Mariner segment, small piece of news for the storm, at least in terms of quantity, but in terms of quality, uh, it's golden. Uh, the gold Mamba, Jewel Lloyd was named to the all WNBA double eh, all WNBA second team. The fact that it was the all WNBA second team is insulting in its own right. Considering the year that Jewel Lloyd had, the history that Jewel made, um, it's really puzzling that she didn't make the first team. Um, I mean, the WNBA has got a lot of talent. The parity in this league has just continued to grow and grow. Um, and it's really important to see that parity. But, you know, with the, the year that Jewel Lloyd had, Jewel doing some things that nobody has ever done the historic season that she had. It's, it's really bizarre um, that she was put on the second team. I don't know how you justify that. We'll go over stats in a minute, but at least looking at the first team, Brianna Stewart, Alyssa Thompson, Thomas, pardon me, uh, and Asia Wilson, all first team makes sense. The Fusion Collier had a great year. Satu Sabali making uh, the first team probably should not. 
And then we look at the second team. Uh, Sabrina Ionescu, I don't know if she should have made uh, all the WNBA team. It's interesting. Jewel definitely should have been on the first team. I mean, we can rehash the statistics for Jewel Lloyd. We went through them all throughout the course of the season. We can go over them again, though, if you need me to. Um, First of all, before I get into the many numerous statistics for the Gold Mamba, uh, it was the third time in her career she's earned uh, all WNBA honors. And the second time she's been on the second team. Um, A WNBA single season record for points scored. Uh, She only she missed two games, by the way, so she could have even further uh, put on to that performance Her 24.7 points per game average was the second highest in league history uh, was the highest average since Maya Moore back in 2014. Anything with Maya Moore is golden. So ooh, I didn't even mean to use the word golden there. Uh, Lloyd set a league record this season with 21 games scoring 25 or more points and led the WNBA with 12 games of 30 or more points. Uh, she scored in double figures in all 38 games this season and holds the longest active streak with 41 consecutive games with 10 or more points points uh she set and then broke her career high for scoring three times over the course of the season uh capped by a 41 point performance against minnesota back on the 29th of june uh she finished the season strong scoring at least 19 in each of the final nine games of the year averaging 27.6 down the stretch i could keep going i I really shouldn't just because we'd be here for a lot longer but i it's just ridiculous i mean she should have been on the first team that's robbery. That's ridiculous. Uh, I'm just happy, though, that she signed her two-year extension. She'll be here for two years. Again, it'll be really fun when we get to come and revisit this uh, Storm segment with free agency, with the draft, uh, and with the lottery as well, when the Storm find out which pick they're going to get in the upcoming draft, which is going to be a really talented draft as well. So that's all we've got for the Storm. The Sounders had a week off from play over the course of the past week. Um, Sorry, shirt felt weird there. So there's no match to go over for the past week. Um, At least in terms of training, Raul Ruiz Diaz was back in training. He was showing some great uh, finishing ability with both, both feet. And I know, I know with Raul it's tough, right? Because He's been injured so often, and, you know, a lot of the times the best ability is availability, and I understand that, and I've been a critic of that across the different teams that we cover here, but Raul, when he is healthy, does bring such a dynamic ability to score. He's such an, he can be such an X factor for you and such a killer. Um, So if you're able to keep him healthy for this playoff run, he could be, he could be a major, major factor. it's a big if though. It's a big if. So I understand there's a lot of, you know, want people that want to move on from him. Um, I'd have to sit down and think about how I feel about that. Um, with the contracts coming up and with kind of ushering in a new age of the Sounders uh, with this off season, with the new branding, with long acres, I could very well see it happening. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a different discussion. Uh, we're not looking at that. So that's just a note from training. Um, on the eighth, midfielder Obed Vargas was named to the U.S. Youth National Team pre-Olympics training camp. 
as one of 23 players on that roster. The United States would face Mexico on October 11th and Japan on October 17th, which is tomorrow by the time that you're watching this. Uh, Vargas scored a late goal in the 90th minute against Mexico to help double the U.S.'s lead 2 to nothing in that win. So it was nice to see Obed make his impact there. After a really impressive 2022 campaign or early 2022 campaign before being hindered by injury, you know, Obed kind of burst onto the scene for a lot of people. Uh, it was really high on a lot of uh, a lot of prospect lists, so to say. Uh, he's kind of been quiet this year, so it's been nice to see. It was nice to see him get that goal um, and make that impact with the national team. Um, other sort of national teams related things on the 10th. Uh, defender Reed Baker Whiting and midfielder Danny Leva, who is on loan with the Colorado Rapids. So if you're like Danny Leva, um, they were both named to the U.S. men's soccer Pan Am Games roster. But Baker Whiting will remain with the Sounders uh, that would have made uh, he would have missed the St. Louis match at minimum. Um, and Brian Schmetzer and I uh, kind of talked about it and said that it was decided that he was going to remain with the Sounders considering how much of an increased role that he's had with the club. Uh, you know, he, he played all 90 minutes against Nashville, which is where this photo by John Wilkinson, the third is coming from uh, the third. Looks like third. I'm sorry. Well, actually I can increase it. Let me see. Yeah, it is third. Okay, good. Just making sure I credit people, which if you follow us on Twitter, uh, you know, that was a topic of discussion. Um, yeah, I, I Reed's interesting. I think he can bring a great uh, presence for you, uh, bringing the ball up from the de defense or if you want to play him in the midfield. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think keeping him here with the squad uh, as the playoffs ramp up uh, and get closer is a good decision. I think that was a smart decision. And if he continues to play this way, he'll he'll get more invitations from the national team. I don't think that will the the other uh, U.S. teams. So uh, the Sounders sit at a 13 win, nine loss, 11 draw record. They sit at 50 points on the year. Good for ninth overall in MLS, third in the Western Conference behind St. Louis and LAFC. Uh, their next match, as we've talked about for a little bit of a while now, October 21st at St. Louis City SC. Kickoff is at 6 p.m. Pacific time. The Sounders can clinch as high as the second seed in the Western Conference. Uh, on decision day, it'll require some help. Uh, they can clinch home field advantage with a draw, though. So that'll be big for Seattle. You know, any playoffs across any league, you want as many home playoff games uh, that you can get. So that will be big for the Sounders. We should know more playoff news and such. Again, I run the banner, but we're about to go into Kraken segment. So follow us on social media. The next time you see that banner, I'll probably run it at some point early into the Kraken segment. Speaking of which, we'll go right into the Kraken segment. We are into the uh, officially. There we go. Words came out in the wrong order. Officially into the 2023-24 Kraken season, the third season in franchise history for Seattle. Uh, and it's off to a bad start. Um, Seattle has lost all three of its home uh, of its season openers now, uh, two of them being to Vegas, which is uh, a little annoying. Uh, they always won on the two years prior. They won the second game uh, in both years. That wasn't the case um, in this one. So opening night against Vegas, it was their banner night. We didn't get an actual puck drop until about, I think it was 815. 
or so because the game before it on ESPN, it was Chicago and Boston ended up running late. Um, and and then there was Vegas, the banner raising their banner came out of a slot machine, uh, the slot machine that showed old Stanley cups. Uh, you know, there was all the festivities. It was Vegas. Of course it was. Uh, Vegas looked like a talented team. They looked like a team that didn't lose many players, which they haven't. And they look like a group that's been together. There's still a good functioning roster. Uh, Vegas has not started to die off yet. They're still very much a contender. A good amount of people have them going back to back this season. Um, and they showed a little bit of why, uh, a lot of mistakes in this game for the Kraken. Uh, the first period was good outside of a mistake that gave the Golden Knights a breakaway and a goal. Um, some good shot volume from the Kraken, some good generation, uh, and it just kind of deteriorated along the way. Two goals in the second period. Uh, two in the second period? Uh, two goals and then the empty net goal. Uh, give us our final score here. Just frustrating. Jared McCann does get the first goal of the year for Seattle coming off of his 40-goal performance last season. Uh, McCann is our player of the game for that game. One goal, 1.5 shots. McCann becomes the third player in NHL history and the first in 100 years to record a goal in each of the franchise's first three season opening game so more history for canner there uh just a just a tough game just a tough game uh some good things again from seattle uh they did look a little bit sloppy but you know it's it's night one it's a good vegas team you know no, no reason to really overact overreact then night two october 12th at the nashville predators a zero to three loss seattle gets shut out Similar to the game in Vegas, the first period is good, uh, you know, chance generation wise, but the, the quality of the shots kind of goes down in the next two periods. Plus, the fact that you're facing goaltender UC Saros for the Predators, who is an excellent goaltender, one of the top 10 in all of the NHL, you could argue top five. Um, Seattle just unable to come up with any answers to beat him. They're not able to get the greasy goal. A lot of their shots were in tight against Saros, which is where you want to get those shots against him so that you can come in and get a rebound potentially and, you know, get one past him. They were unable to do that. Um, the power play continued to struggle. Uh, the Kraken power play continued to struggle in Vegas and it struggled here in Nashville. And when we get to the blues game, it's, eh, eh, we'll talk about that. Um, the Kraken had a power play late in that game against the Predators uh, that looked really good. It looked really good. Uh, they really hemmed in Nashville and their killers. The only thing is the Predators killers were able to block the shots and Seattle was unable to come up with a power play. It was arguably their best looking power play of the year so far. The one before it, there are only two in the Nashville game. The one before it was ugly in the second period. Uh, Nashville dominated the puck in that one. They got multiple clears. They also got a shorthanded goal. And that shorthanded goal kind of became the unraveling. And I talked about it on uh, our instant reaction on the Circling Seattle Sports YouTube account. Um, it, it, after that shorthanded goal, the team kind of crumbled like a nature valley bar. It was it was not the greatest you know, resolve after that shorthanded goal. Uh, the Predators get an empty netter, and it's an 0-3 loss. Our player of the game, despite the score, was goaltender Philip Grubauer. 32 saves, a 941 save percentage, 
2.48 goals saved above expected. If you do not know what that means, essentially, uh, Grubauer saved. Well, I'll put it better this way: the Predators should have had two, two and a half more goals than they did, but because of Grubauer's play, it prevented that. So, tough one in Nashville. Uh, Nashville, they kind of retooled. They look like they're going to be a better team than they were last season. Uh, they put up a hell of a fight, and Saros is one of the best goaltenders in the, the league. So you're like, all right, lose the first two. Uh, you're going to round it out against the Blues. You've shown some good, some positives through the first two games. Put it together against St. Louis. Wrong. You get a point in St. Louis, which is fine because this game goes to a, a shootout. Well, not fine, but get a point because this game goes to a shootout, but the shootout woes continue for the Kraken. Back in year one, back in the inaugural season, the Kraken went three and one in shootouts. Since then, they have gone 0 for five in shootouts. Last year, they went 0 and four, and in this game, obviously, 0 for one. So, a uh, tough one here. Again, first period, you generated some good chances toward the end of it, though. St. Louis kind of pushed back on you. Uh, in the second period, the Kraken get on the board first. The Kraken would have had a goal previously, uh, but Jared McCann kind of lightly grazes Jordan Bennington. Bennington flops. His knees come out from below him, even though that's not where the stick touched him. It's called for goaltender interference, uh, so that's taken off the board. It would have been a goal for Vince Dunn. Instead, Jaden Schwartz gets the first goal of the night here uh, on a tip-in. Great play from Schwartz. He, the former Blues, scores against his former team. Uh, but right after St. Louis is able to answer um, on a breakaway. So tough one. Uh, nobody scores towards the end of regulation. Nobody scores in overtime. In overtime, though, Adam Larson gets a shot in the dying seconds of overtime that just barely hits the left leg pad of Bennington. If it was an inch or two up, it would have gone in and the Kraken would have won. Alas, we go to the shootout. And nobody scores for the Kraken in the shootout. Uh, they go 0 for 3. Um, and only one blue scored. And it was their last player uh, of the three to score. Uh, and that sends the St. Louis fans home happy. Uh, our player of the game, goalie Joey Decord. Decord in his first start of the season. 24 saves, a 960 save percentage, and 1.07 goals saved above expected. We already went over goals saved above expected. Uh, and as I mentioned, he just saved two uh, attempts in the shootout. So tough one. Seattle, out of those three games, only comes out with one point in the, excuse me, in the standings. Our player of the week, there's not a lot of offense to go over. Uh, not too many of the defensemen were particularly too ex uh, exceptional. Jamie Alexiak did have a great game in St. Louis, though. So I went uh, with goaltender Philip Grubauer. Over the first two games, he's made 61 saves in total, a 918 save percentage, 3.1 goals saved above expected, which is good for fifth best in the NHL right now, and a 0.52 war wins above replacement. If you don't know what wins above replacement, yes, baseball friends, it is the same thing. Um, if you don't know what war is, it's essentially if you took a league average player and you compared it to what the current player that we're talking about is, how much that player we're talking about is better in terms of value than the league average player. I hope that makes some sense. That sounded a little bit jumbled when I think about it now. But, I mean, Gruby's been great. Gruby's been excellent. He was the reason that they were in the game against Nashville. He kept them uh, in that game more than they should have been against the Golden Knights. Um, 
you know, there was one goal that, you know, you could argue that Gruby probably should have had in that Vegas game. But outside of it, he's kind of been left out to dry on a lot of these breakaways. Um, so unfortunate, really unfortunate. And, you you know, to see what Gruby did in those first two games and to see what Joey Decor did in that game against St. Louis, a lot of the media talk, ugh, I, I, I sorry, it's frustrating because, you know, as someone who's watched like, 82 times what? So 164? Yeah. Um, I watched all of those first two years' games. It's, a lot of the goaltender criticisms weren't really fair. I'll admit it. You know, in year one, Philip Grubauer wasn't, he, he, you know, coming off of Vesna season, could have been a lot better than he was. Um, the first half of last year, struggled a bit getting out of there. Uh, dealt with an injury, and then the second half he looked excellent, and then in the playoffs he was their best player. Um, to come out and start the year like this is excellent. If Dave Haxtall and the coaching staff and Gruby are able to keep him you know, healthy, knock on the woods, um, and manage the workload properly, you know, mix Joey in there appropriately, don't burn Grubauer out, you have no problems at the goaltender position. Uh, the question I would ask is, is Joey Decord able to give you enough uh, to play out as a full tandem and not have to bring up, say, Chris Rieger from the AHL? That's kind of left to be seen, but, you know, well, I'd give Joey the benefit of the doubt right now. So a tough one. Um, people are asking, should you be concerned or they're saying that they're concerned with the offensive production right now? Only two goals through three games i understand that i can get that you know seattle the best scoring team in five on play five play last season and all the nhl struggled really bad on the power play last season their one goal against st louis was a power play goal so there's that there were one for one on the power play um and and in the three years now two years and three games that the kraken have existed their power play is largely been horrible um i'm not concerned i'm not entirely concerned if we get to say 10 games and you're still at this sort of snail's pace offensively then i'll be concerned nick olchek said it on the root sports broadcast if you weren't generating the chances that you actually are right now then i'd be concerned because the kraken are generating chances they're getting pucks on the net they've hit the pipe a few times uh some of the shots have hit their own teammates um on the way towards the goal and instead of deflecting in they've just deflected down or deflected the other way um they're generating chances the first periods have all looked good even in the st louis game they look good throughout the game um they're just not getting the puck luck right now and I, it's really once those you know once the floodgates open they should be fine they really should be fine uh your fourth line was a lot more offensive based last year with ryan donato morgan geeky and daniel sprong uh sprong and donato who are also having decent starts of the year uh right now for their respective teams um this fourth line now is a lot more defense based in tanev belmar and cartier um a little less when yamamoto is in there um so i wouldn't be concerned i mean we look at the the offense defense and the special teams offense you know i think it's coming defensively They've looked decently solid. There have been a few mental lapses um, that have taken place so far. 
Uh, some of that's come on odd man rushes. Uh, and on special teams, power play, the last two power plays that the Kraken have taken, that last one in Nashville, good, and then that one in St. Louis they scored on, maybe there's a positive trend going on right here. you know. And then penalty kill-wise, the Kraken have not allowed a power play goal yet. They are 100%. I could do the math right now, but I probably don't want to have you guys sitting here looking at me do the math. Penalty kill has been excellent. You know, Pierre Edward Belmar, Jamie Alexiak have all, and, and Adam Larson have done a great job on the penalty kill so far. Um, Goaltender wise, we went over goalies. So I think it's coming offensive wise. I really do think it is coming. Um, but with the upcoming homestand, you're going to play three teams who were in the playoffs last year in Colorado, Carolina, and New York. It's not going to be easy. Uh, so you're really going to kind of need to, you know, just kind of get one in against Colorado early and then hope that it comes in bunches and then you can go from there. Carolina was kind of embarrassed tonight, uh, Sunday night, by the Anaheim Ducks. I believe it was six to three. I can look that up quickly. Um, it's not like I'm going to sit here and do too much math. I just look at scores. Yeah, six to three. Wow. Eey. Um, so who knows, but I, 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 long story short, I'm not concerned right now, maybe come back next week and they haven't won a game yet. Then I'd be concerned. There you go. Okay. Um, we have injury news, unfortunately in the season opener for Brandon Tanev sustained an upper body injury. It's undisclosed. Currently the team hasn't put a label upper body, lower body head. Uh, well, they wouldn't say head because the NHL is upper body or lower body. Um, suffered and what we're going to call an upper body injury as he took a blindside hit to his head and neck area he has been not he has not been able uh, to come out for the morning skates he has not been out for pregame skate uh so he's not been available or, or there's no real update over the course of the past games uh dave haxel hasn't said anything the team has not put an injury designation on tanev um Brett Howden, the Vegas forward who laid the hit on him, did get a two-game suspension. Um, so there was that. But, yeah, Tanev took that blindside hit. really looked like it was a, a hit to the head. I imagine he's concussed. The team hasn't made a corresponding move to bring a forward up from Coachella Valley yet, so I imagine he should be back sooner rather than later, maybe during this homestand. We'll see. Uh, we might learn about that more from practice today, Monday. So, again, follow us on the social medias. That would more than likely be on Twitter when we get that out more instantly uh, to get that sort of news in real time as that's playing out. So, uh, looking ahead, the Kraken sit at a zero win, two loss, one overtime loss record. They are sitting at six in the Pacific Division with one standing point through three games. Yes, I know it's hard, Kraken fans. It'll be all right. Uh, looking ahead, their next game is October 17th, Tuesday, versus the Colorado Avalanche. It is a rematch of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, a highly contested playoff round, obviously going seven games and the Kraken winning that ever, ever stressful game seven in Colorado. Uh, this is 7 p.m. puck drop. That game is on ESPN. We don't have our root friends for that game, unfortunately. It's on ESPN. Then... Uh, game two on game two of the homestand on Thursday, October 19th versus those Carolina Hurricanes that I just mentioned that lost to the Ducks tonight. Uh, that's a 7 p.m. puck drop. 
Uh, that is on Root Sports. Uh, you can also watch it on ESPN Plus if you are out of the market. Um, this is a game. Carolina is expected to be a cup contender. Um, so <laughs> uh, the loss to Anaheim is a little bit surprising, but I wouldn't put anything past them right now. And then to close out that uh, current homestand um, and round out our week on Saturday, October 21st versus the New York Rangers. Uh, it's a 7 p.m. kick. Uh, I almost said kickoff 7 p.m. puck drop. That is also Root Sports and ESPN Plus. The Rangers as well have a talented roster. I wouldn't put anything past them uh, as well. So take a quick break, water break. As we now go over, excuse me, to our OL Rain, who it was going to be so stressful going to be so oh i can even play the clip it was going to be so stressful if the oh i don't i don't think i can oh no i can okay it was going to be so stressful if uh with decision day it was the first ever decision day in nwsl history where every game that was played today sunday oh now we're in the monday 12 34 a.m every match that was played started at the exact same time and so there was all this chaos. Um, I can show you the clip about being stressed out. Can you tell? Can you tell how stressed out about it that I am? Because I'm very stressed out about it. That was me last week. Um, it was going to be stressful. Uh, and the first half for the rain wasn't clear cut. They weren't running away with it. It was a scoreless first half. The rain had dominated. Um, I believe it was seven shots in the first half, three of them on target, and one big chance missed. There were a few opportunities where uh, Chicago goalkeeper Alyssa Nair came out of her own box, and the rain essentially had an empty net, uh, and they were too slow to put that on goal. Let's see. We'll go to stats here if I can get that right. Yeah, seven shots um, total, three on target. Yeah, okay, I was right. Um, you're thinking, okay, it's the same old rain. They're generating chances. They're not going to be able to convert. Then in the second half, three goals, two of them by our player of the match for Megan Rapino. Megan Rapino, just like the Nike ad. Please do not laugh at me too hard for my imitation of that Nike ad. You can laugh, just don't point. Um, two goals, a 9.1 match rating, 70% passing percentage, one chance created. Four total shots and a 67% chance, uh, 67% shot accuracy. Megan Rapino scores a brace, um, scores the first two goals of the match for the rain. Then just Fishlock scores the third. Uh, it is reviewed by VAR for offsides, but then determined that it is a good goal. Uh, the rain keep a clean sheet, and with the win, they do punch their playoff ticket because of other results around the NWSL. I believe it was largely because of the New York, New Jersey Gotham result. Um, the rain secured the fourth seed in the NWSL and they will host a playoff match. So, Hey, let's stress um, for me now. Uh, now it's playoff stress, which is great. Excellent. Wonderful. Um, I mean, this, this was kind of a, a typical OL rain match. They were strong defensively. Uh, Chicago only got one shot on target and they really didn't. I don't believe they got any big chances. Nope. No big chances. Seven shots in total in the match, none on target and no big chances. They really didn't threaten Claudia Dickey and goal much at all. Um, 
and the rain didn't have Sofia Huerta until the second half, and she only subbed in with 20 minutes left when this game was largely in hand. So this was a typical OL rain match. They played strong defensively. They generated chances. The difference was today that Rapino finished hers. Fishlock finished hers, got a breakaway. The difference, uh, and it's funny, uh, my friend Bella, if she watches this, will know uh, the joke here. Head coach Laura Harvey for the rain always says, like in every press conference, goals change games. Obviously, that was the case today. It's kind of a Hadoi moment. Um, but yeah, this is big. I mean, this is really big. Coming into this, as you know, I showed you with Stress Me, there was some concern with whether or not the rain were going to be able to punch their ticket whether they were if they were going to draw, they were going to need a lot of outside help to get a playoff match at all, let alone be able to host. And now they're going to be able to host. So, um, that's nice. It was really st stressful. Um, we'll go over some. There's some cool statistics from this one. Um, and again, you know, there was the stress coming in. You know, with a you need to it's a win and in situation. The rain only won one regular season match um dating back to July. One. It was all draws or losses, and then the other ones were in challenge cup play. It's not good. It's not good at all. Um, so you know, um, let's see. So we'll go over some stats provided by OL Brain PR. Hi, Ryan. Um so with the result and the clinching of the playoff spot, it's the club's fifth consecutive appearance in the playoffs and seventh all time. The current streak of five playoff appearances consecutive is the second longest active streak in the league. The rain finished the regular season with seven clean sheets tied for fourth best in the league. Um, the OGs, obviously, if you paid attention when I mentioned the two goal scorers, Jess Fishlock and Megan Rapino, both of them scored the last time that they both scored in a game. Uh, was April 22nd, 2017. That was six years ago. Whoosh. Um, <laughs> let's see. Claudia Dickey. Claudia Dickey, solid in this one. She really didn't have to face much danger, but she was a calm and steady presence. After the first few matches that she started in regular season play, where she kind of made a bad mistake and then played well the rest of the match, the last few nights uh, that she's gotten the starts, um, she's looked calm. She looked confident. Um, we'll get to her save of the week in a little bit, but kudos to her and her six, uh, and just her first six regular season starts for the rain. Dickey earned her second consecutive clean sheet and her third overall this season. Um, <laughs> Fishlock assisted on one of Rapino's goals. Um, it was, it was her Rapino's second goal. It was her first assist of the season and 25th all time. Uh, Fishlock has 42 goals and 25 assists all time. Obviously, all of them are with the rain. Fishlock is now tied with Lynn Williams for third most career goals for a single club in league history and one of, is one of two players joining Rapino to record 25-plus assists with one club. Rapino recorded the first two goals of the match which occurred within three minutes of each other, uh, marking her first brace of the season and fourth goal of the year. The last time she had a brace was last year on August 14th against the Goth uh, against Gotham. Uh, Rapino now has 51 goals all time, which is the most in club history and sixth in league history. Uh, the 11 year veteran is one of two players in league history who record 50 plus goals with one club. And there's an even better stat with that. Let me get that here. 
Uh, Rapino is the fourth player in league history with 50 goals and 25 assists in regular season play, and the only one to do so for a single team. So, uh, also in addition to that, midfielder Quinn uh, recorded their 50th appearance for the Reign. Uh, it is the they became the 18th player all time to do so uh, with the Reign. So, there are some nerd numbers for you um, in terms of injury report. Nobody was out for this match. Uh, before the match in the pre-match press conference, Laura Harvey said that everyone was available. With Harvey, that could have been nothing. Uh, Huerta, as I mentioned, did sub on for the last 20 minutes. Rose Lavelle was much more of a if-they-really-needed-her situation. It was interesting. Um, some quotes from Harvey during the post-match press conference were kind of telling. Uh, Huerta said it was great to get Soph on the field. She's recovered in ways no one believed was about to happen. What does that mean? We probably won't know. And then with Lavelle... Harvey said Rose was sort of there if we desperately needed her to be there, and thankfully we didn't. But she was running after the game so that we can keep her ticking over in preparation for Friday, which is the playoff match. So um, I'll, I'll get this out before we get to team news and then league news. I think this rain team can make a dangerous playoff run, but they're going to have to execute finishing-wise. That's That's been their issue the entire season. I just talked about it with this being a typical rain match. They've got strong defensively. They got depth defensively. Dickey has looked comfortable the last few matches. So I'm not worried about your defense and your, and your goalkeeper midfield. If you're able to get a healthy Rose Lavelle for this playoff run, you are as dangerous as any team in the league. And I truly believe that uh, with the generation of chances that this team already makes without largely having Lavelle this season, you add her to the mix and it's just another sort of key um key to this another piece a huge piece of the puzzle uh sofia huerta being back is huge for the rain you can now um knock on the woods oh sharp wood um get your typical starting four back in the back line if you want to maybe harvey feels differently maybe they keep phoebe mcclernan back there uh to an extent and they move lou barnes back into center back um but sofia huerta's service into the box as she that she provides as an outside back is huge to that generation of chances as well. So, you know, and, and again, if you can finish your chances, I think the Ren can beat anybody in this league, anybody, but they have to be able to do that, you know, and maybe this match where you scored three goals, the first time you've done. So uh, you, this is the first match uh, dating back to July that you've scored more than one goal. Um, if this is, the match that opens the floodgates, you know, it's with when the playoffs across different leagues, it's who gets hot at the right time. Maybe this is that we'll see. So anyway, in regards to team related news, as I hinted to on the 12th, it was announced that rain goalkeeper Claudia Dickey earned the NWSL save of the week for her close range stop against the spirit video credit to CBS sports and the NWSL and Paramount plus video credit NWSL Paramount plus. CBS. Forward, stop. Puts one up. Wants Rodman. Big collision there. Ball is in the box. Towards Rodman. Rodman saved. Saving life. 
And that kind of shows it. I mean, that save in the dying minutes of that match against the Spirit, a team that, you know, is, is has had the Reigns number for a while, um, just kind of shows her comfort and her ability to make that key save and her ability to play out of the back with her feet has been such a big thing uh, as well. So, I don't know. We'll see. And congrats to Claudia on that honor. Um, in terms of league-related news, the San Diego Wave have won the NWSL Shield with their victory uh, over Racing Louisville today, and the Portland Thorns lost to Angel City, who the Rain will be playing in round one. Portland lost 5-1 to one, um, to Angel City in Portland, which was not at all expected. That was kind of a big shock. Um, let me see if I can... <laughs> I want to make sure it was five to one. Yeah, it was five to one. Yeesh. Um, and so the wave, the thorns fall short of winning the shield for the second season in a row. Last year, obviously, the rain won it. Um, and the wave win the shield in their second year of existence. So they're an interesting team as well. Uh, looking at it, the rain win, uh, finished the 2023 regular season with a nine win, eight loss, five draw record. Uh, fourth in the league table is where they finish out the fourth seed, excuse me, with 32 points on the year. They will be hosting Angel City FC on October 20th. That's a Friday at Lumen Field versus Angel City FC with a 7 p.m. kickoff. If you are not able to attend, essentially, if you're not in the state of Washington, otherwise, I don't want to hear an excuse to why you're not going to Lumen Field that day. Um, you can watch it on Paramount+. Plus. That's a big one. Uh, Angel City, in their last five matches, I just talked about them being beating Portland 5-1 to one today. Um, out of their past five matches, they've won three of them, and they've recorded a point in four of them, only losing one of those five. So Angel City, as I mentioned about teams getting hot going into the playoffs, Angel City might be one of them. Uh, the Reign have only lost one match over the course of the two years of the California teams uh, being Angel City and San Diego in their existence, and it was to Angel City. The last time they faced them, two to one, down in Angel City. So... It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one. It's not gonna be easy whatsoever. Hopefully, we have good news for you when we return. To wrap things up and kind of sticking with the theme of the rain, our star of the week, and by our I mean mine, star of the week, Seattle star of the week. We haven't had it for the last few weeks. Ford Megan Rapino. Rapino again in the biggest of moments. The old adage of big time players make big time plays in big time games. Rapino needed this. Um, the rain needed this, the rain needed a win, uh, to at least guarantee a playoff spot. If not, again, the draw would have had them, they needed extra help to get in, um, and to keep her career continuing, keep it alive, to keep the season moving forward for the rain, the brace so big in the big moment, uh, <laughs> and just the knack for coming in big in that big moment for this club, let alone throughout the course of her career. Um, it's just fitting that Megan makes this sort of magic to happen um, and has this performance in this last match where they needed some sort of performance. They needed a hero. They needed someone to convert their chances. And of course, who else uh, to do so? So um, hopefully Megan, knock on the woods, has a few more of those moments throughout the course of a playoff run. Again, it's going to be a big one. Angel City has had some strong form uh, as of recent, but you're on home field. 
Uh, you're going to be training at your home uh, home training facility uh, down at Starfire. So you've got the you've got some things on your side. So that will wrap us up for the October 16th episode of Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Um, in better spirits today. In better spirits. Um, Despite the Seahawks loss, you know, the rain win was big. The rain win was really big. Um, glad that I felt better when I was recording this. The last few times we've kind of had to rush it. Um, anyway, until I see you next week on, what is it, October 23rd? Some big uh, some big t- consequences for some teams uh, potentially next time that we meet you. I hope that you take care of yourself. Be well. Uh, there's supposed to be some nice weather in the middle of the week. So I guess enjoy that as we've got 67 degree weather in the middle of October. Um, check in on the people that you love. Remember that life is short and, and to let the people that you care about know that you care about them and know that they are valued and appreciated. Um, until I see you next week. Uh, always remember, I am your friend, Charles Hammaker. Take care of yourselves. Be well and do whatever you can to make today a great day. Love you.